Welcome to The Flock from Nurtured Nest. I'm Katherine Dunn, founder, early childhood educator, and mom of two young girls. And I'm Courtney Miller, co-founder, registered nurse, and IBCLC, as well as a mom of two young boys. The Flock, our podcast for parents, will bring you up-to-date birth and parenting research that corresponds with our on-demand parenting classes. Ensuring you are ready to take on each new adventure in building your nest. Kat and I were chatting this morning. A, they have a snoo, Liz, Mm -hmm. and they really love it. Okay. And they live in a community of snoos. And so she's had some conversation with other moms about it. So I thought that Kat could give us kind of um, just some best practices of snoo, things she loves, wishes she would have known. I also said that she's going to need to come back um, in a few weeks when the snoo is no longer and we need to unsnoo. <laughs> yeah. And we want to talk to her about unsnooing. Unsnooing. Um, yeah. So, what is that sound? Oh, um, I think there's some construction outside. I can do okay. when I'm not talking. Well, okay. that's okay. No, it's okay. Actually, I think it's a garbage truck. It'll be gone soon. Okay. <laughs> Kat is in Brooklyn. Live in the city. Exactly. It's, it, it, it's, it's nice to hear what, you know, like a day in a life in Brooklyn. Right? Yes, you are literally hearing it. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so Orion is here with us, and he is almost two months, but that is his real life age because he was born about five weeks early. So Liz just did his adjusted age, and Liz, what is Orion's adjusted age this morning? So if he is precisely three weeks and five days adjusted. Okay. And for those of you who don't know what the heck we're talking about, it's just based off Kat's due date, um, which was August August 24th. He came on July 22nd. Liz, when should she respond to him at night? She's typically waited to see if he can resolve it on his own. And he is in the snooze. So the snooze probably zhuzhing him, right? Uh Uh Uh-huh. And usually he does resolve on his own. Um, so talk to us a little bit about response during the night, Liz. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question. And one that I get all of the time. Um, so I'm glad, glad we're talking about it. Um, the thing that you want to make sure that you're doing when your baby wakes up in the middle of the night is that you are taking a beat to take a breath and pause and listen Because if at first peep from your baby, if you hear them crying and then you just immediately rush to them and go straight to pacifying their tears as quickly as possible, then you're preventing them from being able to communicate to you what their true needs are. And you are preventing yourself from learning how to decipher what their true needs are. So I always recommend whether it's the middle of the night or during the daytime, pause, take a deep breath, maybe like three or four deep breaths, listen, and then respond. Um, As far as you know, you'll, you'll hear people say, and, and like you sort of um, mentioned in the question, you're, you'll, you're, you will hear people say, well, how long should I give them? Because I want them to work it out on their own and, and figure out how to sleep more independently. That's great. But honestly, newborns aren't really supposed to be able to sleep independently. They're 
nervous systems just aren't that developed yet. So if he does happen to fall back asleep because you give him a couple minutes, awesome, exciting, heck yes, <laughs> go back to sleep, get some more sleep. But don't let yourself be lulled into that becoming the expectation because he's going to go through so many different cognitive periods where if you leave him alone to sort of fuss it out for, say, five minutes, he's not going to always be able to fall back asleep. Sometimes he's probably going to escalate um, and really need help being calmed back down. So there's not exactly a rule of thumb, like wait X number of minutes. But if you pause and take a few deep breaths, then that's going to allow you to sort of access your like rational thinking and to really figure out what they need. Um, it also will give you time to take a peek at them and see if maybe they're just in REM sleep and crying because uh, newborns spend a lot of time in REM sleep and they move around a lot. And so sometimes they're like acting out their little newborn baby dreams. And so given, given him a few minutes looking and saying, okay, like sometimes they'll even open their eyes a little bit. They'll smile, they'll grimace, they'll do all sorts of things. Um, just kind of observing. Cause you should probably know by now, like if they're doing that, like full body, like <laughs> sort of thing. Like they're probably, sorry, that was a really annoying sound. <laughs> it's very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> like the little baby pterodactyl sound. Um, yeah. If they're doing that, they're, they're probably not sleeping. But if they're like whimpering and like vocalizing, then, you know, get, give them a couple minutes and make sure they're actually awake. Yeah, he's a very vocal baby. Um, if there wasn't a truck outside my window, you could hear him right now. Just kind of grunting and making I do, little baby I noises. I do hear him. <laughs> Yes, yes. We have and to they remember are. that that's their voice. So babies don't have words. They only have cries. And it's bizarre as an adult because we are not used to communicating in cry. I wouldn't cry to you. If I did, I would be upset. I would be sad. I would be hurt. And so as adults, we take their cries and try to apply them like they're an adult. And they're not. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, and that applies at, to my toddler, my, well, my now almost preschooler over here, age kid oh. um, and my six-year-old, like that keeps on applying um, for a while past this mm -hmm. baby stage. Um, yeah, to totally. Okay. So, and it also, if you, if what, I think one other important thing to mention here is that if you do give them, you know, get in the habit of rather than just like jumping up and immediately quieting, um, quieting them down. If you get in the habit of really listening, you'll start to be able to decipher like, well, that cries a little bit more of a hunger cry. That cries a little bit more of a sleepy cry. That one's a little bit more of like, I just hate the world cry, you know, and you'll start to kind of get the hang of it. Um, but if you never give them a chance to vocalize because you always are like on them right away, feeding them um, or trying to shush them back to sleep, that, that you won't get a chance to learn their, what their voice is trying to express. Mm -hmm. No, I like that. I can remember the same stage chat and I can remember people telling me not to feed my six month, seven month old in the night. And my gut said, that's a hungry cry from her. And then once we got to eight, nine months, that cry changed. And that was a like whiny, like, yeah, I just want to hang out with you. <laughs> and, um, 
it didn't come easily though. That wasn't something that I had at the very beginning. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know their cries. Um, can we switch gears and talk about yeah. swaddles? Would that be okay? I would love that. Hey, oh, Ryan. I, Ryan. So, yeah, good idea. So <laughs> Kat has a couple of swaddle questions. So swaddling for naps. So remember that he is eight weeks like out, um, but a little over three adjusted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then swaddling when he wakes up at night. So staying swaddled at night. So Liz, Liz, I think, has some different takes on swaddle in general. Liz, do you want to hear from Kat what she's doing? Yeah. Why don't you tell me what you're doing? And then, yeah, go from there. So again, he's in the snoo. So the snoo has um, you the, the 10 second swaddle, they call it. So you kind of strap his arms down. There's a little part that goes between his legs and you zip him up, clip him into the sides. Um, so he is in that um, while he's sleeping. The first, probably up until about a week ago, uh, when he woke up, I was taking him out of that swaddle in the snoo, changing his diaper, feeding him whatever he needed, and then trying to put him back, which kind of took a lot longer. About a week ago, I started taking the swaddle out, swaddling him out here, and then kind of doing whatever he needed and then putting him back in there when he was ready. And he started sleeping a lot more. I don't know that could be just because he's was going to do that anyway. Uh, it could be the swaddle. It could be who knows. So that's what I'm doing. I'm not really swaddling him for naps unless he like starts freaking out and is flailing his arms and seems like they're stressing him out. I think that all sounds perfect. Oh, amazing (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it sounds like you're really like responding to his the little cues that he's giving you and you know if he's having a fitful day and needs to be swaddled for a nap like okay cool that's a day swallow him that day um the other thing i liked that i i heard you say is that you know you didn't know for sure if the way you were swaddling was impacting how well he was going to sleep at night maybe he was going to sleep well anyways and that's it's so good to keep that sort of attitude because if you start trying to draw you know decisive conclusions between x and y with a baby like <laughs> like you're just going to drive yourself mad because there's yeah. so many variables that are going on behind the scenes in their brains and then other things going on in the environment that you just, you just never know, but it sounds like it worked. It's working well for you. And, you know, I don't, I don't hear anything wrong with that. I mean, what, what are, what are your thoughts about it, Catherine? Oh, I was leading there. Um, no, I think that that all sounds great. I know that Liz, so when I think about swaddling and when we were building a newborn sleep class, I feel like as a, a new parent, I was drilled in to swaddle, swaddle, swaddle. Um, And I was swaddling with arms down. And then we got into making this class and doing some research. And then there was a lot about swaddling their arms up Mm -hmm. um, and just ergonomically, right? Because we don't want their hips. It's the same thing um, with their hips that we don't want them to be too tight, but we also don't want their arms to be strapped down and and I realized I had strapped my girls, both of their arms down to height to their sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we got into it more, I realized that, oh, maybe this like hard set routine of swaddling that I did mm-hmm. disserviced me. 
And so it almost sounds like cat, this laid back, like, okay, mm-hmm. we'll swaddle mm-hmm. at night. We swaddle mm-hmm. some at naps. I pay attention to him though. If he's having a harder day, that's when I swaddle. Mm-hmm. To me, it was like swaddle means sleep. And so it became the cue for both of my girls mm-hmm. and they struggled hard. Yeah. And then that's, swaddle. that's tough too. You know, if that's the cue and then they're starting to roll and it's no longer safe to swaddle them, then you're confronted with like, Oh my gosh, what's their cue to sleep now? <laughs> like that, mm-hmm. that swaddle's gone. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm all for the laid back approach to swaddling. Like when mm-hmm. it's working great, when it's not like, don't bang your head against a wall trying to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that, Liz, will you help us understand for somebody who's listening to this and maybe their baby's not here yet. And so they've never swaddled, you know, they're going to see it in the hospital. Those, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. postpartum nurses, man, they are, yeah, they are so good. <laughs> the best. Um, but what is the purpose behind it? Is there, is there science behind it? What tells us what, what tells us to do that? Yeah. So there's something called the Moro reflex, um, which is this, you'll, you'll see it if, if you spend any time around a newborn where their movements are really jerky and then they'll make these sort of reflexive jerks with their arms and legs, even in their sleep, which then startles them awake. And so the swaddle helps to keep the impact of the Moro reflex, you know, at a, at a lesser degree. It also helps them to feel safe and, you know, cocooned up like they were when they were in the womb. So mm-hmm. it's it's a comforting feeling to them. Um, yeah. and, and I and I say that very generally, but there are some babies who just no matter what you do, despise being swaddled. And when that happens, like happened with my second kid, I, like you just have to respect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they already, they have preferences. Like they I do. think that's the craziest they do. thing about babies. Absolutely. Pay attention. Preferences are there from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. one of mine is a butt pat and the other one wasn't a butt pat. Like that was a preference. And I noticed Courtney, her little boy Teddy was here the other day and he's a butt pat. Like that's how you can do them. He likes a good yep, butt pat. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah, that was my first. And it wasn't just a like regular pat. It was this no, no. It was like, doo-doon, 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 yeah. doo-doon, doo-doon. Yeah. Like- Pretty fierce <laughs> thing. Um, I don't know what that says about them as a child or as a female <laughs> in general, but that's for another day. Yeah, um, we can do some psychoanalysis there. <laughs> right? So my last thing with swaddles, just because if we're going to talk about swaddles, we need to always talk about safety with swaddling. Mm-hmm. Tell us quickly, Liz, when do you stop that? Because it's not safe after a certain point. Yeah. It's when they start rolling, you know, if, if, and if they're starting to show signs of rolling, then get them out of the swaddle. Yeah. Because they won't, what you, what they need to have is they need, once they start rolling, they need to have their arms free so that they can, you know, push themselves up, reposition themselves to make sure that they're, you know, getting the proper air, mm-hmm. um, you don't want them to be in a swaddle and then have their little face smushed. So, so as soon as you see them moving toward rolling, mm-hmm. then you need to get them out of the swaddle. This might be, and a it's all, new... sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say it's all, it's, it's always a rocky couple days, but they get used to it. So just like embrace the chaos for a couple days and then know that they'll sleep without a swaddle just fine. Mm-hmm. This uh, might be a snoo specific question, but because they're strapped in and strapped to the snoo, mm-hmm. does the same rules still apply? Like, is it is it bad once they start rolling to like prevent them from doing that on their own? So now 
that question gets a little bit more complicated and I'm honestly not sure what the answer is because I don't think with all of the contraption stuff going on, I don't think you have to worry about them moving. No, but um, what I have seen in many of my clients, and this is not scientific, this is just what I've seen with many of my clients who have transitioned out of snooze is that they, once they get to that point where they're starting to roll, the snooze starts really pissing them off because they're like, <laughs> they're like, dude, I am trying to get to my side. I want to sleep on my side and you are making me sleep on my back in the street jacket. And I am miserable. <laughs> and so I see that happening a lot, but as far as the like science of if it's safe to keep them, um, I can't really speak to that specifically, but just sort of thinking about it logically, I feel like keeping them contained longer than their body wants, like there must, that must not be great, but I, I don't yeah. have any research to, to back that up. Catherine, do you? I don't have any research, but what my gut and what my knowledge of, um, you know, milestones and development is that that's inhibiting them from mm -hmm. making the neural connections and things that they need to age appropriately to be on the move. Exactly. Um, so although they wouldn't probably, you know, suffocate themselves into the side of it, I think, honestly, I can see that angry thing happening. It's frustrating. Yeah. That's when they do a lot of their practicing. If you're listening mm -hmm. and you've got, you know, four, five, six month old, you may be having some rough nights, but it's because your baby is having these, um, you know, mental growth and they, they're learning new skills. And when they're alone at night in this open space, it gives them time to practice it. Yeah. And as horrible that is for the parents, it's like, that is something that happens. And so man being strapped down, being stifled by, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you think about yourself, you know, in that sort of sleep situation, oh, I hate it. yeah, mm -hmm. doesn't sound awesome. Yeah. What is that when they start? I don't even know when babies start rolling over. Is that like four or five months? It can, it well, totally for a lot, but for yeah. my oldest, it was when he was eight weeks. So, <gasps> I mean, yeah. Whoa. Mm -hmm. So that is the funniest thing in baby's first year. We talk a lot about like milestones and that is where it starts the comparison game amongst friends, amongst people on the mm -hmm. internet. Like that's where we start comparing it mm -hmm. is so different and just Oops. like humans. So think of it this way is, you know, I'm really into riding horses. Like that's what I love. My husband's really into golf. And so we all have different passions as do babies, except for they don't mm -hmm. know horses and golf yet, but they know like verbal, like, and they know different, like they have their senses essentially. And so some children like my Lainey, our second was so content just to watch and see the sights and not move her body. Her body was also a lot larger than our sisters. My older one was very much on the move. That was what she wanted to do. And still to this day at six, she's yep. really nimble. She's a really, she just started gymnastics and loves it because she loves to move her body. And so she was much earlier on those milestones of rolling and all those things. So yes, there are, and I have to always throw this out there. There are, there is a point in your baby's life, if they are not rolling, were they not doing something like walking that you will want to talk to your provider because there could be something going on there. But 
there is not an age. It's not four months. Exactly. Months. No. Yeah. So whether when it comes to the swaddle, whether they're six months, I mean, if whether they're six weeks or six months, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're starting to roll, then it's time to get them out. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, over those little burritos are just so precious. I and know so they are. releasing their arms. I hope Kat, <laughs> that you have some good uh, video of the release of the arms. Yeah. Oh, okay. I love it. Let's talk. Okay. So she has some great questions just about, you know, Orion has been really good and seems to be going with the flow. It seems like Kat though, her um, take on this has been really laid back, which is a really good approach to uh, parenthood in general, but bedtime napping, like, okay. So first, should there be a bedtime at this point? And then for naps, obviously they're still kind of all over the place mm-hmm. at eight weeks, but where should he be napping? Is there a set time? then is there a set time for that bedtime? Can we talk a little bit about flow of the day? Notice I didn't say routine or schedule. I said flow of the day. Yes. Yes. So when it comes to specific times and newborns, I just, I just wouldn't worry yourself with that. I mean, they're at, at eight weeks, you know, a, a baby is just starting to produce melatonin enough to make any sort of difference to where there is much of a night and day to them. So really in those first eight weeks or so, just thinking of the day as just one big flow, um, making sure that they're not getting overtired and that you're not keeping them awake too long, um, which could mean putting them back down within 30 minutes of them waking up in the morning, which just seems crazy, but they really do need, they do need that much sleep. Um, and then just kind of just going with it around the clock. You know, if, if they sleep for three hours for a nap and then can stay awake for an hour before their next nap. Awesome. But if they only slept for 30 minutes, then they might only be able to stay awake for 30 minutes before their next nap. And so just kind of going with the flow with them in that period and then involving them in your um, social activities and your activities around the house so that they start to have the social cues of, okay, well, this is daytime and this is nighttime. Um, Because again, you know, if, if your baby's three weeks old, they're not producing melatonin yet. So they're not going to have a circadian rhythm. So, you know, in the morning when they get up, whether that's seven o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning, just turn the lights on, let them know that it's time to start the day, bring them with you to the kitchen to make coffee or tea. Um, and, and know that you're, you know, starting to establish that routine of what daytime is. And then as long as you keep them from getting overtired during the day and then include them in, in your routines as a family, um, they're going to be fine and they're going to get into a nice rhythm. And then as far as what bedtime is, it varies a lot. Um, newborn bedtimes do tend to be later than, you know, the four to six month old bedtime. And, and so if your newborn's not wanting to, to be put down until midnight, like that's just, that's just what their little body needs and that's fine. So don't like bang your head against a wall, trying to put them down at eight because, the four month old next door goes to bed at eight o'clock. So just, just know that the bedtimes will probably be later. And then somewhere around three to four months, sometimes earlier with some babies, the the bedtimes do 
get more into that typical baby range of like six to 8 PM. Mm-hmm. Hey, I have so that, can I add something to that? Like Please. A, real, a real, this is not a sleep consultant perspective per se. Um, I just remember that being really hard specifically for our second, because we were already in a flow. We had a two-year-old. And so she was going to bed at like by seven o'clock. And so of course mm-hmm. I was really in that routine of winding mm-hmm. down and I have mm-hmm. that time. And I remember being ragey. Well, in granted, if you know my story, you know that I had undiagnosed postpartum anxiety going on. Um, yeah. But I was just extra mad when she would not go to bed at a traditional time. In fact, it seemed like she like woke up at like yep. eight or nine o'clock. Yeah. And so that's when I needed help. And that's why I wanted to say this was like, I needed to think of a better way to be like, I need help partner. Um, You know, this is a really hard time of night for me after Mm -hmm. I have fed her and putting her in the bassinet in our bedroom and setting the tone for, for nighttime sleep. And she is not doing it. And I just need to rest myself. Mm -hmm. And so um, Mm -hmm. we eventually got there. She eventually would spend time in the den with my husband. So I would feed her put her down and we would try every night for consistency purposes. And then when she would fuss and, and it was real clear that she was not ready to sleep, um, my husband would come and get her. He would watch some TV. Um, yep. She would just be out. I do have to say she would be in a swing, which now I know that is not, not a safe sleep spot. Mm-hmm. And really? Yeah. No, we can talk about that too. We can talk about sleep. It's inclined sleep. Um, and yep. Liz, Liz yep. might have some more insight yep. there. Yeah. Well, if, if you think about it, if, if you sort of just like sit upright and then kind of tuck your chin a little bit toward your neck and see what that feels like and try to breathe. So that Great. position can be induced by being in a, a swing um, or at a one of the, like a cozy incline, like a swing or a car seat. And so that's why you have to be really careful um, because they're not, they're not getting the appropriate amount of oxygen. Well, what is it? And I just, I'm making, I, we're finishing the class and I, I think it's an in, is it, um, what is the incline? I just put this in. Oh, a, in the, like, like the actual, uh, like numeric incline. Yeah. Like, it's I, like no, I don't know off the top it's of no my head. Incline, guys. Like, is it yeah. flat? No, they, like it needs flat, to be flat. Firm, yeah. yeah. Flat, firm flat. space on their backs. And um, really in general too, they're not supposed to spend more than two hours in what I deem a baby holder. Um, mm-hmm. That would be like a swing, a bouncer, mm-hmm. a born, whatever it is. Dog um, attack. Yeah, a dog attack. Those mm-hmm. that's for what is a dog attack. I a, well, there by dog bed. Yeah, there. I think I, I don't think they're quite as popular now as they were a couple of years ago because of some issues. But the they're safety product commission kiboshed a lot of our yeah. thing. I had one. Uh, My girls slept in it. Don't even guys. I yeah, did yeah. major unsafe sleeping because I was I was tired. Um, so that's definitely dig into our infant safety class. If you have questions there, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the, um, yeah, just the neural connections that they're supposed to be making by having their body grounded. Um, I know a lot of people 
are into like grounding, like literally like every morning being like in your backyard or on the park or whatever and actually grounding. But there is something to that and our babies also need it. And because we're heavily marketed at by all these companies promising us sleep, when we're so exhausted and so subjectable and it's 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 really an unfortunate situation so yeah i mean you'd be much better off to to go outside throw a blanket down and let your baby sleep on a picnic blanket in the park than in a swing yeah well that's safer and better for them (laughs) oh i love it i want to have a baby in brooklyn that sounds so sweet it's really fun Oh, fine. Well, yeah. So just back to that bedtime, just know that that does, that does simmer out, but it is it does. Peak because you're tired. Like you, you have this adrenaline, you know, postpartum and you're doing all the things and then, you know, four, five weeks and you're just really tired. Yes. And, then and they- that tends to be like when the fussiness is peaking as well. And so yeah. it's, you just, you just want the day to be over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so at the expectation, Liz, don't you think that's part of it is just like having knowing, knowing, knowing what's normal is, is psychologically very helpful because when you know that it's normal, like, okay, my baby may not be going down until 11 or 12 o'clock in this newborn period. That's mm-hmm. normal. It's also normal for me to be exhausted and this is going to pass. We're going to, we're going to get through this. And, and when you could just have that perspective, as opposed to being marketed at that, your baby's supposed to be sleeping 12 hours at night. Um, you know, that that's, I think when you start to get this cognitive dissonance, because you're like this, my reality is so not what I saw on social media, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and that that's really frustrating for parents. I think that perspective of like, this won't last. It's not, and it's not something that I'm doing or I'm responsible for changing. Like for example, a couple weeks ago, um, for like four nights in a row, he woke up at 3am and just was like screaming for like an hour. And he had never done that before. And I'm like, what did I do? I broke him. You know, I kept him, I let him sleep too long during the day. I did whatever. And then I didn't really change anything I was doing. And he stopped. <laughs> so it's, and that's, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm so glad you said that because yeah, it just, there's just like really, there's really crap days and crap nights. Yeah. I mean, there's also a lot of awesome stuff, hopefully, but totally. like, sometimes it's just really hard. And the newborn period is just especially exhausting, but they just yeah. grow out of it. Yeah. 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 So, and then that was one of her questions too, is should she ever, so going back to like, did I let him sleep too long? Should I be waking him up at this point? Should we be waking our babies? Um, and I think I know the answer to this one, but Liz, what should you be? Let me tell you what I've been doing. Yeah. Yeah before I'm swayed by what Liz said. (laughs) Um, I've been trying to wake him up if he's sleeping over two hours during the day. Um, Usually he will wake up. If it's later in the evening, sometimes he won't. Um, But that's what I've been doing in the hopes that it means that he sleeps more at night. Whether or not that is helpful, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, since it sounds like he's doing well, there's no point in changing it. I I generally don't recommend waking um, newborns up during the day unless they are awake for long periods in the night. So if if your newborn is awake for 
two to three hours in the night and will not go back down and then wants to take three, four, five hour naps in the day, then okay, like let's let's try to switch that balance. And, and then I would say, yeah, limit the nap to two hours. Um, but Can in, I add in, one more other mm-hmm. is if they're not gaining weight, right? So just yes. like coming from a standpoint, a feeding standpoint, we don't want to- Absolutely. Sorry, Liz, but I, know, I know you would have said that because I know where you're going, but if you're listening- and you have a baby that is, you know, not gaining weight. That is also very important to wake and feed. Absolutely. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's great. And I mean, I think that's, that's all the points there. I mean, with, with a newborn, yeah. if they want to take a three hour nap, awesome. As long as they're gaining weight. Yeah. Um, but if they want to take a three hour nap, a four hour nap, I even hear five, six hour naps during the day and then not sleep at night then let's try to shift that balance by waking them up after two hours during the day. Yeah. yeah. Typically sleep, they get sleep, right? So I keep hearing nap, that. And I'm like, <laughs> who said that first? <laughs> From a seasoned, a seasoned mama over here, when we had better naps, we would have better, like more sleep. So even at that night yeah. nap, I heard you say like, don't, um, you know, sometimes in the night he wants to sleep on. And I was very fearful of that. I'm like, Oh, you can't take a nap. Me personally, I adult Catherine can't take a nap at 5 PM and then go to bed at 9 PM. Um, but what you also don't need 16 sleep? hours of sleep per yeah. day. Yeah, I don't I mean, man. I don't think like, maybe you do, but <laughs> probably use it, but yeah, no, they're very different. And so I think that part of the trouble we get into as parents is like, um, treating our babies like humans. Right. And got this little, this little kitten. I, I'm just like, oh staring at that me too. It is, and, but I'm guess like, what? It is nursing on this pillow. Oh, it is, even oh. If y'all oh, are, look at him. you're watching and not listening. We're, we going to put out the video of this so we can get the, I oh mean, oh my gosh, uh, how, do so you, I know, how old is that so kitty? Glad, I don't know. Too old to be doing this, but guess what? <laughs> Aren't you glad that little kids, like they make biscuits when they nurse? Can you imagine what that feels like to the mother cat with those nails? Like with those it? nails? Oh my gosh. No, oh. that little, that poor little, that cat's probably going to be doing that his whole life. My cat still does that. Yeah. 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 I think he was probably weaned. You know, we foster. Yeah, he's probably weaned. Foster. This is a foster kitten. Um, oh, he's so cute. I know. Oh okay, sorry for everybody listening now to our podcast. <laughs> the crazy cat. You two have three crazy cat ladies together. Um, okay. So, Liz, this is probably one of the last questions that we can do with you today, but dream feeding. Now, first, mm-hmm. when I read, so, you know, Kat sent me some notes before. Kat, will you describe to Liz? what you're doing for dream feeding, what you think dream feeding is. And then Liz is going to talk to us about dream feeding. How's that? Yes. Okay. So what I have heard and what I was trying to do is when he goes to sleep, let's say he goes to sleep at seven and I come to bed at 10 is like kind of grabbing him and like trying to feed him a little bit, not totally waking him up, but like just seeing if he'll eat a little bit more and then putting him back down to kind of like fill him up. So he sleeps longer. Um, I have, you know, some of these group chats where these women are saying that they dream feed every night and it's great and blah, blah, blah. To me, I, he's either awake or he's sleeping. And if he's sleeping, he's not eating. So I don't understand how people are doing that or if there's value in that, if I should be 
trying to wake him up or if I should just be letting him do his own thing, you know? Yeah. So what you described is the ideal of dream feeding of, of you go in at your bedtime, you give them the breast or the bottle and they kind of halfway wake up, but don't really wake up. And then their tummies are nice and full and you get a three hour chunk of sleep. Like that's, that's dream feeding in theory. And it works spectacularly for some families. Um, for other families, it doesn't do a hill of beans. And for other <laughs> families, it actually makes things worse because you wake the baby up and then they don't want, I mean, imagine if someone came, you were in the middle of a deep sleep, someone comes and pokes you and they're like, you're like, here, eat this cheeseburger, eat this cheeseburger. You have to eat this cheeseburger. You're like, and so some babies i presume i can't ask them but i presume they feel like that and then they don't want to eat and then they get like grumpy and have a harder time falling back asleep and it disrupts their sleep cycles so what i always tell families is that if if you're you know not getting a three-hour stretch anywhere Sure. Give dream feeding a a try and see how it goes. But if you've been trying it for a week and no one's sleeping any better, then what's the point? Yeah, no, that that makes sense. and, And if you try it on night one and it doesn't work and then you're all anxious about it the next night, don't try it again. Um, you know, and I, I will say, I think I should be honest here. I didn't dream feed. I, um, nursed both my babies for, a long time, um, but didn't dream feed either of them. And, you know, so I, I come into it with perhaps a little bit of bias cause it never worked for me. Um, but I've worked with so many families with newborns where the dream feed either didn't work or they didn't want to do it and everyone was fine. So like let for the people who it works for awesome and like congratulate them, but just cause it works for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you. That's good to know. Cause I'm like, am I doing something wrong? Like, is there a way to just wake him up a little bit? <laughs> like, a, it's a little well, more some babies it is, And yeah. some babies it's not, I mean, cause they're all okay. just like, just like adults. Some of us sleep really deep and some of us don't, mm-hmm. I mean, their babies are the same way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just another tool. So I, I feel mm-hmm. like dream feed and sound and different types of light and things like that. These are just all kind of tools. And Mm -hmm. then if you try it out consistently, like Liz said, like a week and then it's not working, step away. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and if it's broke, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like, I think that that's part of the issue too, is that maybe Mm -hmm. we see people with these babies that are sleeping, sleeping through the night, Liz sleeping through the night for a baby that is Orion's age. So, well, and technically he's even younger because of his mm-hmm. adjusted age, but let's talk eight weeks. Like what is considered sleeping through the night? Yeah. So it depends on who you ask. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when, when there were sleep studies done on babies, you know, back in, I, I could like the forties, fifties, sixties, sleeping through the night was considered five hours. Um, and so a lot of, um, healthcare professionals sort of latched on to that. It's like five hours. If you sleep five hours, that's sleeping through the night. I don't know who, I mean, that's crazy to me. If I get five hours of sleep, I'm like just totally dysfunctional the next day. Um, but the idea being, I think you get five hours and then they get an extra, you know, two and then three and whatever to get enough sleep. Um, 
but just in you know, t- talking with other parents and the, the idea of sleeping through the night is you put them down at bedtime and they sleep until you wake up in the morning or at least till like 5 a.m. Um, none of that is appropriate for a three-week-old. Um, there there may be a unicorn three-week-old three out there who is, or four-week-old out there who is has gained you know, doing great gaining weight and they just happen to sleep six or seven hours straight. But that is not the norm, nor is it something that anyone should strive toward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if he's, if, if Orion's regularly getting some three hour chunks, four hour chunks at night, that's awesome. And that's like right on target. And if some nights he only sleeps 90 hour, 90 hours, <laughs> if some nights he only sleeps 90 minute chunks, you know, like that's on target too. He's probably going through some developmental stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. Cause I have my snoo analytics <laughs> so I can see how long he's sleeping. Uh, and yeah. like the chunks where he's been really fussy, like consecutively. And then he'll have a few days where he's like sleeping really well consecutively. So maybe that's like what you're saying. Like he's going through some, something. Yeah. Some and I, that, thing. that gives, you know, I, I feel like there probably are some parents out there for whom those analytics are reassuring, but it just worries me that some people are going to feel like they're doing something wrong or that they're messing something up during the day because their analytics at night aren't perfect. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, you know, we don't, we don't have the data of like the, these are all the, what was normal in sleep pre-snew versus <laughs> yeah versus the age snoo. of the snoo, <laughs> the age yeah. of the snoo. <laughs> I, I, I will think, say oh sorry go ahead go ahead i was gonna kind of i was just gonna tell her about my pediatrician um tribeca oh, yeah. pediatrics pin that thought real quick because i wanted yeah, yeah. To, i wanted to say this about analytics is that being in business you know i'm an entrepreneur all of you guys, we're all entrepreneurs. We know it, Kat, especially man, she loves some analytics, right? <laughs> and so again, I see like this common theme here. There should be a book. I'm going to write a book guys. That's called like, stop trying to apply your adult life to your baby because yeah. we don't need to biohack our babies. You don't need to analyze the <laughs> analytics of their sleep because what you do is just that as you go and start looking at the day and trying like, to find patterns yeah that's what i've been doing patterns they're not mark i mean like it's <laughs> not gonna be there right? <laughs> when it also gets it gets you into a frame of mind that is not conducive to learning to read your child or connect with your child. If you're in that like Uber left brain solving problem mode, you're probably going to blow right through that cue that they're trying to give you. That's a really good point. That was me, yeah. that was me in general. And I didn't have snoo analytics. So I do mm-hmm. think that if that's a piece, like wherever you are, um, and man, that's a applicable over here. In, in what I'm up to in, in parenting a three and a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Liz, your kids are a smidge older than mine. And I think that that applies just in general is when we start to take this like business approach to our parenting mm-hmm. is, is great as routine can be, mm-hmm. I think like that's a good thing and having, you know, a routine, but not these like analytics and like, if they act this way, it must be this we're human. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's a really hard 
hard thing, I think, for parents when you're so used to controlling all the variables in your life. And especially, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you're, you know, you're, you're looking at Google Analytics, for example, or if um, I have a ton of clients who are at, you know, what the various universities around here and scientists and, you know, like you're so used to knowing all the variables, controlling them to get the outcome that you want. And that just does not apply to parenting. It's too messy and you can't control all of the variables in your child because they're their own little being. Wow. There's a lot going on on the surface that we don't all understand, nor should we, right? It's good that we have experts that do and we can tap into them, but yeah. Okay. We'll wrap on this because Liz has got to run, but we want, I want to have Kat tell you this last thing about her. So she's in Brooklyn with kind of like a coveted, I want to look them up later. I hadn't heard of them, but Liz, Kat, tell Liz. You, you, Okay. Um, have you seen, have you heard of the book, bringing up baby or baby? It's like about French parenting. Yeah, okay. French. And it, yeah. They mentioned Tribeca pediatrics, mm-hmm. um, where I go and they tout sleep training at two months. Oh, <laughs> yes. I've heard about that practice in New York. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have time, I'm sure, but I just oh, wanted to throw it I, to you. you. Know, I, I'll be honest with you. I would really love to have a conversation with them yeah. and try to understand what their perspective is and what sort of science and rationale they're using other than just the outcome of the baby sleeping. His two month is coming up on Monday and I'm interested to see what they'll say because maybe they won't because of his like adjusted age, I don't know if they'll bring that into it, but he's also like tripled in size. He's gaining so much weight. So I don't know, you know, I'm not sure what they'll recommend. I do. Yeah. That, uh, okay, so this mm-hmm. is I would really, we should see if we could get, get their, their PR person to, to talk with us and give us, cause I, I have ever, like ever since I first found out about it, I've, I've wondered what their rationale is. And I've tried to not go into judgy place. Yeah. Well, they yeah. does, like, and we have to believe, I mean, and I believe this in business and in life in general is that you have to believe like no pediatrician, no one who went into the role of, you know, a pediatrician would want to cause harm or. Exactly. Harm. There's, like there's that. gotta be. So there has to be something. There has to be it. something like, I just am very interested in what the, the basis is of their, I mean, maybe it's in the book. I'll, I'll take a look at the, the book you said over. Yeah. It's interesting. Or the there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, this was fun. Thanks. Yeah. Both of you. Thank you for joining us. Use the code flock 10 at nurturenest.org for a discount on your first class.